biggest problem in 50 years will be that there's just not enough people. Most young men are single. The rate of Americans giving birth slightly drops as the nation continues to see fewer babies born. Divorce rates have hit a 10-year high. Major problems with regard to the mental health of our adolescents. Surges in depression. Welcome to Tradish with Mary Rook, where once a week we're going to go over the societal decline and what we're going to do to fix it. Hi, and welcome back. This episode, we're going to be talking about a lot of different topics. But first, I wanted to bring your attention to this really funny piece that Kay Smythe wrote. She's one of the news and commentary writers for The Daily Caller. The title is, Joe Rogan Accidentally Invents the Bible. Joe's sitting there talking to a man named Brian Keating, lamenting about the fact that there's like no real management book to show society how to flourish and how to be peaceful he says there's no document that shows you how shows you that this is the optimal way to exist and that these are the pitfalls of existing any other way for whatever reason there's no structure that people can follow that's universally agreed upon rogan said it's honestly comical one for christians because we're yelling this is the bible obviously there's a clear blueprint the ten commandments the way the saints lived the way christ lived there's clearly a, a place you know, for us to be learning from that. But also, it got me thinking that life is not that complicated. Americans have been modeling, you know, the perfect structure for society for generations before modern uh, modern society kind of took over. You had a, one man in the household. He was masculine. He used his masculinity to protect and to guide his family. He wanted a legacy. He worked to protect it. He worked to honor it. Then he had his wife who was gentle but strong and firm. She used all of her work to uplift and support her husband and her children and her family. She really made herself a blessing to everyone around her. When we had families like this continuously teaching the next generation how to live and how to honor and what did what character means and what um, humility means, when we had parents like this guiding generations, we built amazing things. We had skyscrapers. We had all of these beautiful wonders, and our military was strong. We were feared around the planet. Obviously, we're in a chaos cycle right now, and you look around and you realize it has a lot to do with how modern parents have been raising their children for the past three generations. Essentially, from Gen X to Gen Z, with millennials in between, you're sitting there looking at these children who are increasingly being raised by electronics and other people rather than your core knit family. It's the first time in, gener in uh, generations that you see children really um, being disconnected from the core family unit. I'm hoping that with this show that we have a sort of awakening in our society to remind parents how important their task is when it comes to the legacy of the American spirit, we're currently watching it die and we have a real responsibility to bring it back. So buckle up because here we go. Nothing has destroyed the American society more than feminism. Its ideology discounts the natural balance between men and women. It does the exact opposite of what it claimed to do back in the 60s. Feminists lied to women. They told them that their search was inequality but in reality it tears down men it makes them less than it tells women that they are above them that they should be striving for more than a marriage and children and, and life in a traditional way 
It's sad. We told women to stop looking for stoic men. Stop looking for the man that's going to protect you. Instead, we encourage women to look for men that aren't going to push them out of their safety zone, aren't going to encourage them not to be selfish. Feminism requires men to strip themselves of their masculinity in order to be worthy of a woman's affection. It's not often you see a man being able to protect his wife publicly, being able to keep her honor safe and secure from attack. For instance, there was this man on the street interview a couple weeks ago that went viral and the husband was asked how much he spent on his ring for his wife. And the wife is sitting there and, and you know, she's kind of waiting for him to respond. And after a little bit of a back and forth between the host and the husband, the husband finally gives up that he spent about $35,000 on the ring. And obviously that's a lot of money. So the host looks at the wife and he says, okay, well, if he's willing to spend $35,000 on a ring, what are you going to be able to give him in return? Like, what is the trade-off here? Essentially insinuating that because he gave him the $35,000 ring, that, you know, the wife owes him something other than her loyalty. With the way feminism has weakened men in their, and put them into submission, you have to expect them to look over and see the husband waiting for his wife to answer. She should have to explain why she's worthy of a $35,000 ring. But you didn't. That's not what happened. The husband stood in. He said, no, I'm not going to let you ask this degrading question to my wife. I'm not going to make her answer your question on whether or not she's valuable on whether or not she's worthy of this so this costs thirty five thousand dollars don't you think a good wife is worth more than that and this is how he answers i get a partner that's loyal i get the mother of my children i get the most beautiful woman that i've ever been around the most important thing is how she treats me how she treats my family how she treats her family so for me i have a partner for life and it's worth every investment there is. Yes, it's no wonder the wife stared at him with love and admiration. He didn't have to rush to her defense. Our society does not require men to do that anymore. It does not require men to step in and protect his wife's honor. An insecure man needs his wife to inflate his ego in public, even if it's demeaning to her, which asking a woman whether or not she's worth her engagement ring is absolutely demeaning. There used to be a time in our society where men understood that women had inherent worth. Nothing showcases this more than the marriage between Adam-22 and his wife, Lena the Plug. They have an OnlyFans page dedicated to degrading their marriage where Adam interviews women before he and his wife have sex with them. He recently let his wife film a porn with another man so he could monetize it. He has so little respect for her and their marriage that he allows people to pay a small fee for access to his wife's sexuality. Every month they can pay a small fee like $7.99 to be able to access his wife having sex with other people. It's the most degrading thing I can possibly think of. If my husband wanted me to do that, it would be a non-negotiable for me. So recently they were on the Whatever podcast and he, instead of protecting her like the husband, the previous husband did on the man in the street, he allowed her to be publicly humiliated. He talked about her body. He talked about his previous sexual activity with other women, her previous sexual activity with other men. He talked about how he needed to look at, at the graphic nature of his wife's private body in order to determine whether or not she was worthy to be married. If this is empowering to women, get me off the train. Okay, if my husband had told me that he needed to look at my anatomy to decide whether or not I was worthy to be married, mar like married to him, I would have said no. That's not a negotiable fact for me. 
we are going to either agree on how we're raising our children, how we're going to live our lives, what's going to be the legacy we we leave for our next, you know, future generations. Those are the types of things that we talk about whenever we are going to discuss what a good marriage or what marriage quality women are. But instead he did it. He just let his wife be degraded and go through emotional abuse for hours to what? Seemingly drive more subscribers to their OnlyFans page? I mean, it, 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 he refused to allow her to feel secure. He refused to put his ego aside and tell the world that she was worthy of protection. But I mean, any woman that would allow herself to be monetized for her sexuality is opening the door to be treating like nothing more than an item to be sold and traded for other goods. Any woman who claims that she'd rather be in Lena's position over the other wife is lying to you. They want to be the one, the special person that you've picked out of the crowd, that you see as the one that you need to support, that you need to love, that you need to cherish and protect from this crazy world. We want to know our husbands cherish our presence, make us feel safe, and in return, we'll love them, give them children, because men like that deserve a legacy. Okay, switching gears to the White House. Nicole Severio, one of our media reporters, highlighted this really hilarious exchange between Fox News correspondent Peter Ducey and White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre. Apparently, KJP was trying to blame the, the recent crime spike in all, in all of these major U.S. cities on Republicans. I mean, three armed attackers carjacked a Democratic Texas representative in the Navy Yard on Monday, and KJP tried to claim that it was Republicans' fault for not signing on to the American Rescue Plan and the Inflation Reduction Act. Neither one of these bills were put into place in order to solve the crime problem in America. But KJP understands the optics behind it. Even Democrats are getting fed up with getting robbed, stabbed, and murdered right in front of their homes. They want a safe place to live like every other American. So Ducey asks, if President Biden's policies are helping bring crime down, would he be comfortable with somebody borrowing his Corvette and parking it in the street overnight in South D.C.? I mean, if you've seen any video on the internet recently, the answer is, of course not. You're not going to take your most prized possession and put it anywhere near <laughs> Southeast Detroit or anywhere near one of these major cities run by Democrats because it's just not safe anymore. When a reporter went to Seattle to try and talk to residents there about, you know, if they were fed up yet with these policies that were turning their cities into progressive hellscapes, the answer was, you know, obviously, no, they weren't. They, they're never going to admit that what they're voting for is killing their communities. It's, it was really funny. One of the women stopped. He goes, um, people are, the reporter says, people are, they're getting robbed out here. They're getting carjacked. And a woman looks at him befuddled. Are they? I've never heard of anyone getting robbed. That's not a thing that happens on the street. People don't just come up and try to rob people on the street. Do you walk around everyday life like someone's going to rob me every second? Instead of acknowledging the fact that her city clearly has a crime and drug problem, she laughs. She tries to make the reporter feel like he is dumb for even bringing this up. All of our major U.S. cities have become drug-infested crime dens. People are 
being shot, stabbed, robbed every single day in these places. And these women are looking at this like it's the funniest thing that's ever happened to them. It's insanity. They'll move away from the crime. They will protect their families from the crime. But when reasonable objections are made about the fact that it's not safe for families in big cities anymore, the left will just laugh. They mock you. They will try and gaslight you and make you feel like this is just an insane thing to worry about. How could you be worried about your safety? This is just such a normal thing for us in our society. It didn't used to be this way. America used to be a safe country. But we've traded our high trust society for one that claims to be inclusive. But their policies don't protect or grow the inclusivity that they want. Instead, the people that they are bringing into the fold are causing a destruction of our society in such a way that's insane. Just take what's happening in Ohio, for example. Over 1,000 children have been reported missing this year. Yeah, 1,000. I can't even fathom being one of 1,000 children missing and hoping that our government is somehow searching for me to get me out of the hellscape that I'm in. Or worse, being one of the parents forced to sit back and wait as their ineffective leaders do nothing to find them. Even with a fully staffed, confident workforce, the police department is going to struggle to find 1,000 missing children. But after years of defunding the police movements and let's get community organizers in here instead of trained police officers, it is no shock that these departments are struggling and buckling under the weight to find these kids. So much so that concerned parents have had to step in and create organizations in order to insulate and protect their kids. One of them, this woman named um, Brianna Brown, she helped organize Join Us in Minor Protection um, in order to help try and bolster support and awareness for what's going on. She told News 5 in Cleveland, as a community, I feel like we need to do more. We need to make it a priority. If we make more things like this a priority, we'll be more on top of it, such as updating the website so we can see and know who is missing. This is our community. We want to know what's going on with our children, especially. We have so many missing children. We want to prevent this from happening, so we need to buckle down. This is not a matter we should take lightly at all. But there's no voting against the policies that currently enable this type of stuff to be happening to their children. Democrat voters have disassociated with the fact that their policies are not just harming themselves, but kids and their community at large. They'll ignore you. They'll laugh at you. They'll tell you it's not happening. But the only way to stop it is to bring law and order back. We have to be ending these bail systems that create an opportunity for repeat offenders to go out and continue to victimize Americans. Have we not had enough? America deserves to be a safe country to live in. We owe that to our children. It's fall, so here we go. We've got college football and NFL back. And with a little mashup of the two, we're going to talk about former Dallas Cowboys superstar Deion Sanders. Now, I'm a Texas girl. So the Dallas Cowboys are my team. I'm always going to be a little bit partial to those guys, but we've got one that's really doing great work out there to help the next generation really needs to be um, highlighted. So Deion Sanders is the head coach for the University of Colorado Boulder. Sanders has decided to take an old school approach to coaching his players. He's kind of providing them with a blue 
blueprint or a framework in order to be successful outside of the field. He calls himself Coach Prime now. And he says that he, you know, kind of expects his players to live up to a specific codes of honor and work ethic and professionalism. It's, we don't expect this of men anymore. We've pretty much told them or written them off on society. No one cares to help them or guide them or, or pull them along because what's the point? They're, they're being discounted immediately. If they grow up to be good men, great. If not, great, because it fits the narrative that all men are inherently evil and just some are better at hiding it than others. Sanders doesn't believe in, in leaving that legacy for his, his players. He wants them to have more. He's giving them this gift that will not only help them, you know, be successful on the field and win championships together as a team, but he's also setting them up with some skills that are very much needed in order to be um, a successful masculine man in this hyper-feminine society. His advice works because he lives it. He is heavily involved in his children's lives. He shows them how to be men. He he exemplifies what that means in that father-son relationship, and he's taking those same dynamics to his team. Now, two of his sons, Shiloh and Shador, I believe his, his name is, uh, both play for him at the, Colorado, at the University of Colorado Boulder. So, you know, most of the time, these players are from broken homes. They're being raised by single mothers. All of those um, kind of factors are tying in, but then here they are. They see Sanders, and his sons are not only loving toward their father, they follow him, they listen to his command, and that if, if men want to know. This is important because men follow other men who inspire them, who push them for greatness, who want the best for them. And so to have two of his sons in our modern world willingly following him from Jackson State to the University of Colorado Boulder, it just speaks to his ability to be that father figure, that leader that these um, other boys on the team need. He wants to give his players a chance to build a tangible legacy, teaching them that it's important for them to live up to their potential. It's important to hold themselves with integrity. It's the first time in their lives they've been asked to live up to a standard off the field. When speaking to his team for the first time, he asks them to believe. He says, I have a problem when young men with everything in front of them don't believe. A tremendous problem for me because you can rescue your mama, father, friends, your loved ones, the homies, and anyone who looked out for you. You have the ability and opportunity, but all you got to do is believe. Sanders wants his team to remember that there is a promise with hard work. There is a promise with integrity. There's a promise with honor that if you give into complacency, you'll lose. But if you give into pushing yourself and bettering yourself, that you won't fail. Sanders isn't doing anything out of the ordinary. It's not like he's asking his players to, you know, move mountains or anything like that. He's just asking them to be the smartest men in the room. Take the chance that's been given to them. Let the competition drive you. Let Don't sit there and you know let his demands water you down. He wants his players to treat people with dignity, show up on time, do the work, live up to the agreed expectations on and off the field. It's not enough just to make plays in the game. His players are required to act with integrity and contribute to the community positively. Coach Prime wants all of his players to have control over their emotions as strong men always do. Our society is in such a desperate need for strong men. It's a relief to see that a man is taking such pride in leading the next generation behind him. But Sanders doesn't just 
talk a big game and tell his players what to do and, you know, give them the formula for success. He lives it. It's what, what sets him apart from other coaches. He demands not only excellence of his team and his sons, but of himself. When Colorado State safety Henry Blackburn had that brutal hit against Travis Hunter, he could have allowed the media to eviscerate Blackburn. He could have allowed them to take him down. They he could have allowed him to paint Henry as this kid who is impulsive and angry and doesn't have control over his emotions, and it could have ruined his life, but he didn't. He told everybody to settle down. It's a game. It was a hit. It was a hard hit, but it was a hit nonetheless. And at the end of the day, the game's over. So the antics and the stress and the anxiety behind it have to be over too. He said, Henry Blackburn is a good player who played a phenomenal game. He made a tremendous hit on Travis on the sideline. You can call it dirty. You can say he was just playing the game of football. But whatever it was, it does not constitute that he should be receiving death threats. This is still a young man trying to make it in life, a guy that is trying to live his dream and hopefully graduate with honor as a degree, committed to excellence, and go to the NFL. He does not deserve a death threat over a game. At the end of the day, this is a game. Someone must win. Someone must lose. Everybody continues their life at the next day. That kid was just playing to the best of his ability. He made a mistake. I forgive him. See you. Our team forgive him. Travis, he's forgiven him. Let's move on. But that kid does not deserve that. In an instant, Coach Prime understands that the game on the field is such a small part of the program that's going on in his building. There are ways to create a winning team without the need to promote the values that Sanders does. We've seen it. National championships are won on the back of unruly college players. And we've excused that type of behavior for a very long time. But it's such a big part of culture. And if we're going to change that, we need people like Deion Sanders to stand up and say, no, no, no. The new culture coming in, the new group of men coming in, they're going to be different. We're going to hold them back to that same classic standard. We're going to ask them to be traditional men anymore because we need it. And we need that in order to continue the integrity of the game and, and, and then continue to promote a good program. He could have let the media just devour Blackburn and paint him as an out-of-control male athlete because that's what our society values, that victimhood. They, they want to be able to take the stripes off of people. Instead, he did what's right. He gave Blackburn grace, something the media, no one else was willing to do. Young men need strong male role models like Sanders to remind them how to find purpose and virtue and value in their lives. Football is a distraction. It's a fun distraction. We all love to watch it, but it's a distraction nonetheless. It's not real life. When the lights turn off and the fans are gone, these men are still going to have to understand how to be accountable. Our world needs them. Their families and society are going to need them to honor their word, be professional, and put in the work. Sanders teaches his players to be more than what our modern world expects of them. And we've got to praise that. At some point, our society decided that protecting the innocence of children wasn't a worthwhile endeavor anymore. It's really wild how far and fast we've fallen. Just 10 years ago, you couldn't have imagined that a librarian would get away with suggesting book porn to elementary school students under the guise of healthy sex and gender instruction. It just would not have been a thing. But here now we have the American Library Association literally pushing a banned book week that is more like porn book week. They're showcasing works like Gender Queer, which is essentially just a cartoon booklet that teaches 
kids how to give each other gay and oral sex. It's about these two boys that are exploring their sexuality and then they figure out how to give each other blowjobs. And it's not even just a word or a description of it. They wrote or they drew pictures, cartoon depictions on how to complete sex acts for our children. And and we're just sitting back and pretending like this is normal. It is, of course, not normal for our public school system to be giving porn and sexually explicit material to students. Louisiana Republican Senator John Kennedy recently read from two of the books during a September 12th Senate hearing, All Boys Aren't Blue and Gender Queer, a memoir. The words were so graphic that that Fox was forced to bleep almost every word of Kennedy's monologue. Now, warning, this is going to be a little bit graphic, but I'm going to read to you the part that Kennedy read in front of um, the Senate that was not allowed to be aired because it was so graphic. Gender queer a memoir. I got a new strap-on harness today. I can't wait to put it on you. It will fit my favorite dildo perfectly. You're going to look so hot. I can't wait to have your cock in my mouth. I'm going to give you the blowjob of your life. Then I want you inside of me. This is what we are encouraging young children to be a part of, to read, to consume. This material is so explicit that it all it does is to help desensitize children to sex and provoke risky behavior. It blurs the line between what is appropriate, what is private. These types of things should not be explained to children. It should not be in elementary school libraries. Parents would go to jail if they took their 10-year-old kid to the strip club. But for some reason, our society sees no issue with them sitting at a bar watching grown men fling their genitals around in a miniskirt or reading genderqueer memoir where it talks about children having dildos and completing blowjobs. Anyone suggesting that these children would be learn to be more inclusive by spending extended time with men pretending to be women do not have their best interest in mind. It, it's time they felt humiliated again. These people have to be stopped. Our children are worth saving. They are not given to us to be used for their sexual pleasure. It is incumbent of us as parents to stop it. We have an innate responsibility to protect them. In any other context, arrests would be made and trials by jury of their peers would sentence them to prison. Every person born on this earth has human dignity that should be upheld. That is not what we're arguing here. But that does not mean that sacrificing our children so that deviants can avoid feeling shame when they want to act out their sexual fantasies in public. Why else would you want to gyrate in front of children if it's not to include them into your sex act? These kinds of things used to be common knowledge. It used to be something that we were able to talk about freely and prevent from, you know, taking over our children. The institutions built to protect them, like the American Library Association, are developing legislation intended to combat attempts to remove any of these sexually explicit books. They want to prevent parents from protecting their children's innocence. Daily Collard News Foundation reporter Megan Brock wrote about this in her piece called American Library Association Helped Draft Bill Cracking Down on Bans of Sexually Explicit Books. She talks about these two Democratic representatives, one from Arizona, one from Rhode Island, who introduced the Right to Read Act. Instead of protecting children, the ALA has moved to protect perverts, people that want to sexualize your kids, the people that want your kids to be talking about sex and dildos in school instead of learning how to read and do math. Our education system is failing. We're not graduating scholars anymore. We're graduating 
thugs and we're graduating idiots and we're graduating kids that have no idea how to read, have no idea how to critically think or use logic anymore. It's a sad state. The policy for the ALA says libraries should not limit the selection and development of library resources simply because minors will have access to them. A library's failure to acquire materials on the grounds that minors may be able to access those materials diminish the credibility of the library and the community and restricts access for all library users. No, actually protecting students and their innocence and their ability to function without being forced into these sex boxes doesn't diminish the credibility of the library. It bolsters it. The community does not want to sell their children into the cult. The community wants to protect them. It's not a threat for parents to stand up for their kids and want to protect them. It's not a threat to say no more. Our children are not going to be a part of this ideology. They're not going to be a victim of what you're pushing. Parents have the responsibility to stand up and say no more. And our society should be supporting that. Parents have a responsibility to show their children how to live exemplary lives and teaching them about porn before their brains are able to develop is not going to do that. It's going to confuse them. It's going to make those selfish connections that we're already teaching in every other aspect of our society to be concrete. Children will not crave lasting, loving connections. They will create that fleeting feeling of casual sex and we have to stop. So don't encourage them to talk to their parents. Don't encourage them to speak to people that actually love them about these very serious and important topics. Instead, they see the only viable option as either stacking porn in school libraries or allowing these kids access to it on the internet. It's time to put a stop to it. Say no more. We're not going to let our kids be captured like this. We have to protect them. And that includes voting for people in office that are going to protect our children and ensure that the craziness going on in our public school system, everything that's going on in our media and in our society starts riding this ship. There's no one else in the world who deserves it more than our children. We should be building a better legacy for them to inherit than this. It's disgraceful. All right. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. All the show's notes can be found below. I'd love to hear from y'all. So please leave a comment while you're there. Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you find us and check out my daily column at thedailycaller.com. Don't forget to join us next week for another exciting episode of Tradish with Mary Rook. You can find me on Twitter at Mary Rook underscore. That's at M-A-R-Y-R-O-O-K-E underscore. See y'all next week.